I drink till the night comes another day and the day's just another little thing in our way. There's something about the way you beat me down that I'll never learn. You're the pint of no return. The pain in my chest, the stain on your dress, the glass in my eye. But this life is a joke and death is the punch. I'm Ha ha! Beep beep, kids. Welcome to Mothers of Mayhem, an extreme horror podcast. This is your weird book mom, Marion, bringing you a very special episode of the show today. If you are already a fan, you are aware that in addition to the two mom interview episodes that Christina and I do, we will be bringing you special one mom episodes as well. Christina, kicked off her one-on-one intimate chat with mom interview series in episode three when she sat down for a tete-a-tete with S.C. Mendez, who's the author and co-founder of Bloodbound Books. If you haven't listened to that one yet, you definitely want to go back and check it out. Hopefully at this point, I have it working. Sorry about that. Oh, for my project, I will be hosting a panel discussion series called Hidden Voices of Horror, featuring some of the brightest talents and personalities in modern independent horror. And over the next few months, I'll be bringing you panels featuring representatives from the LGBTQ plus community, POC, indigenous communities, and mental health communities. I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am about all of this. But first, I am super eager to talk about the modern indie extreme horror renaissance that we have witnessed over the past year. And to help me explore this topic more, I am thrilled to be joined by three brilliant women that I deeply adore. (laughs) Hello, ladies. Hello. 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 Okay, so allow me to make some introductions here. So first, you might want to wave when I say your name because it doesn't always pop up with the names in the video when we get it. First, we have Miss Donna Latham. Donna is an indie horror celebrity super fan. (laughs) She is also the author of the short story, You Should Have Let Me In, which was just released in October of 2021. Donna is basically our den mother of the community and the guys at written and read podcast like to lovingly refer to her as the Annie Wilkes of indie extreme horror. Yes. I think that is the highest of all compliments, madam. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Donna was one of the first people to welcome me into the community. I have massive amounts of love and respect for you, my lady. Donna, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today. Oh, my pleasure. Yay! (laughs) Next, we have Nat Wiston, the extraordinarily talented author of various extreme horror short stories featured in anthologies such as The A to Z of Horror, K is for Kidnapping, The Dire Circle, which I absolutely freaking love from D&T Publishing, and Once Upon a Drabble, Nat also released it, release it, please, 
recently released the first freestanding short story called What's Eating You, and that is available on Godless Horrors. Nat has a strong presence on TikTok and Instagram, where you can find her as at Wiston Nat. Not only is Nat a smarty, but she also has a lovely accent, and I could listen to her talk all day, which is one of the big reasons that I invited her here. Hello, my darling angel. Have I just become the token English bird then? I love it. (laughs) Let's keep going. I'm constantly going to be like, Nat, what do you think? (laughs) Talk to me. (laughs) Last, but absolutely not least, we have the incredible Sonia Ska. Sonia is a highly popular and well-respected reviewer of indie and mainstream extreme horror across various social media platforms. You may know her better as Curious Spooky on Instagram and at Ghostly Reads on TikTok. That's me. Yeah. Sonia (laughs) was one of the personalities who inspired me to start my own TikTok account last August. If it wasn't for her and for Brandon Baker who's at Baker Reads, I wouldn't be doing this today. So friend. <laughs> Such a crazy thought. I and know. Baker inspired me. So it's like right, the, the domino effect. Yeah. You guys, I was like, that looks like fun. Maybe I could do that. And now here we are. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even begin to tell you how thrilled I am to have you here today. So thank you so much guys for doing this first panel with me. I really, really appreciate it. So let's get into it. I messaged these ladies and I was like, Hey, y'all want to talk about this sudden boom in the popularity of indie extreme horror and this like crazy Renaissance. And they agreed to do this. (laughs) You're crazy. (laughs) That's why you love us. I do. I do. My emotional support humans right now. (laughs) So given the high level of engagement that all four of us have within the horror community right now, I think it goes without saying we are all longtime horror fanatics, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure we all have specific authors, filmmakers, books, movies, et cetera, that kind of fueled our love for the genre. But Indie Extreme is really where we've all found our niche. Um, And even thinking back, Sonia, when I started following you at Ghostly Reads, even you at that point were doing more of the like mid-range mainstream stuff. Right. And I was doing the same thing. But as we've kind of moved forward and our accounts have evolved, you and I both really have kind of taken that deep dive into indie, independent work. And right. Nat, you and Donna, when I met you guys, you guys were already a foundation of Indie Extreme and that community. My first question for all of you is, how did you become aware of indie extreme horror and what was your first extreme horror fiction experience where did this all start for you guys oh well for me it was Clive Barker's Hellbound Heart series that was how <sighs> I got into the extreme stuff uh, for me Barker has always been an inspiration for pushing the boundaries where 
other authors were frightened to go, especially Damnation Game, like the first walkthrough where you're in this absolutely messed up town and they're playing roulette with a baby's head in a bucket. <laughs> yes! <like>, um... <laughs> yes! And that was like, that book is what, early to mid 80s, I think? Right about the time that Ed Lee started doing his stuff too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jack Ketchum as well. Um, I reread uh, Girl Next Door and it's weird. As I've got older, it's hit me more, the extreme side of things. But at the same time with COVID and everything that's happened recently, it's like my boundaries are not as high as they used to be it's like nothing seems to hit me as hard as used to I think that's why I found my comfortable sitting with reading like Donna's work Ash's work Finding Godless was a big thing for me finding Danny Volpe and uh, yeah that they were really big staples for me for finding really amazing ideas to set up stories for the future I mean Donna especially um absolutely adore her shorts um definitely the one that was <laughs> the demon one definitely yes the demon. Yes. Hello. <laughs> yes so good donna what about you how did you were already in this like you when i say den mother like i seriously mean den mother because you'd already been at this for like a year i think you really helped push the hype of this whole community. So how did you even get into this? Well, you know, it's funny because my I consider my first experience with extreme horror to be Bentley Little's The Vanish. And I don't know if he's technically extreme horror, but that book, if you've never read it, it really disturbed me for some reason. And I honestly want to say it's really not that great of a book. Yeah. But... <laughs> But it really disturbed me. It had um, uh, mutated children was part of the the foundation of the story and what was happening to these children. And and that's not the main storyline, but it just disturbed me for some reason. And then when I found the Books of Horror group on Facebook, I ran into um, the Aussie sicko himself, Mr. Simon McCarty. Yeah. Um, so my first book from any author in the books of horror group was Mother Maggot Mm. by Simon. What Um, a place to start, Donna. I know, I know. So I read (laughs) Mother Maggot and Simon actually told me that I look too decent to read the filth that he writes. (laughs) And I was like, you do not know me very well, Mr. McCarty. (laughs) <laughs> Looks can be deceiving, sir. Yes. yes they can. <laughs> so I read Mother Maggot and I was like, this is freaking disgusting and vile. And what kind of sicko could think of something like this? I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and then I ran into Aaron Beauregard and I read The Slob. So two major hitters right there in the extreme indie um, world. And from there, it just took off. You know, then I read Billy Silver oh, um, yeah. by Daniel Volpe. Yep. And then Unbortion. So, of course, it 
started with the written in red guys on abortion by Roland Burstyn Jr. And then I found a foreign evil by Carver Pike. Oh yeah. Um, so, and that's how I became their Annie Wilkes because those four um, and Simon really started my love for extreme horror. Like Billy Silver is just a disgusting human being. And <laughs> I loved him. You yes. know? I completely agree. Billy Silver I w- was my first one. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I loved to hate him or I hated to love him or both. Um, And then, you know, to get entrenched in the community, it was because the authors themselves are just decent people. Yeah, they're so approachable, so nice, you know, and you'd think that people who write the stuff that they write wouldn't be nice people, but they are. I mean, Daniel and Aaron let me you know loiter at their table at new jersey horror con you know i just was like hanging out there um and they're just super nice super nice people and that's what helps and then i started seeing the books that they recommend um like elizabeth bedlam um daniel volpe recommended her i freaking love elizabeth bedlam yeah she's great um if you've never read it hoghead by her is freaking crazy oh Oh my my god yeah i think Um, the women in this community tend to write some of the most vicious and brutal stuff out there absolutely and i have more thoughts oh see oh y'all know how i love (laughs) yes i love her too she's great um so yeah and then i just you know i'm a i never left reviews before you know, reading books, I've read Stephen King and I've read some Clyde Barker and, you know, Rick Hotella from the 80s and, you know, early 90s. And, you know, never left reviews, never even thought about it. But then seeing how the reviews helped them help the authors. Yes. I was like, I'm going to do whatever I can to get these people's names out there. I mean, ask Carver Pike and ask Daniel Volpe. I was like buying their books and just sending them to people. I'm like, you need to read this. Donna just, Donna sent me my first book mail. <laughs> and I believe it was Billy Silver. It was signed yeah. by Daniel Volpe. It was That's the sweet. first gift I ever received. And she sends me uh, a, a card on every holiday and it just rocks my world. <laughs> hey, I'm not allowed to send books anymore. <laughs> I caused them. Um, I actually my one of my family members fell out with me because oh. I sent her Talia oh um, yeah. that's a choice yeah, she, she basically <laughs> turned around to me and went like mom I have this book I'm for you. you again <laughs> I sent oh my, my best friend um Talia and then she ended up getting Billy Silver on audiobook and she was listening to Billy Silver while she was drinking her morning coffee. And she's like, that is not the right thing to do. <laughs> because she got to that part that we all know towards the beginning there. Um, so, yeah, she's like, you know, you really shouldn't read this while you're, you know, having your morning coffee. <laughs> right. <laughs> and this ties into the discussion a little bit later. But I think part of the boom in indie horror and especially like extreme horror is people are starting to share these books. Whereas when I started my TikTok, I was too scared to talk about extreme horror because I would sit a friend down and we'd be talking about the Stephen Kings. And then I would bring up the, the Volpes and you can just see like the, their expression change. And then it's, 
they, they were no longer comfortable talking about these books, but now people do want to talk about these books and they're open to it and giving a Billy Silver or um, a Red Station is becoming more mainstream and common and people are falling in love with it. And I think now that people are open to exchanging and receiving these books, we're going to see the, the shift change and it grow even more. So I think that's part of the most exciting thing about what's happening right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And Sonia, tell us more about how you started to get into the whole extreme horror thing. I think with me, it was with most people, it was like a gradual progression into it plus an infatuation with Ewan McGregor. So ah! I got his whole movie catalog, which helped me stumble upon train spotting. I read the book, um, which then led me to Marabou Stork uh, murder um, or nightmare rather. And it was kind of an eye-opening experience because I knew that movies could be disturbing. Yes. But I never really thought that books could be disturbing, which is a very silly thing to think now. But I just had no idea that these types of books existed. So then I just stumbled into a rabbit hole of, you know, those 3 a.m. deep, dark holes we find ourselves in where we're researching books and authors and welcoming these ideas and welcoming the the chance to read them so it was Ewan McGregor train spotting and the internet that just put me on this path and then of course joining communities that were eager to share books that I've never heard about that at the time you couldn't even necessarily google or if you did have to if you did google they weren't on the first page. They were like on page 25. You really had to deep dive for these books. So in that sense, I think community for indie horror is super important still now, but especially even like a year or two ago. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I really started to take the deep dive into featuring the indie extreme stuff on my own account because what I was reading was amazing. And it was new. And to me, it was fresh and it was pushing the boundaries. But I also like watching my analytics and the people who were starting to follow me. A lot of it was young females. And so many people were coming in saying things like, I didn't even know this existed. I didn't know this was a thing. And it just seemed so clear that people were searching for this stuff, mm-hmm. not realizing that it actually was out there and is accessible. And in most cases is very affordable, especially through platforms like Godless and even through Kindle Unlimited, because most of our independent and small press re- releases are going to be zero dollars through Kindle. So I was like, you know what? I love this stuff. I'm just going to start pushing it and pushing it, pushing it because it's giving me life. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, kind of moving into the next part of our discussion here. I, when I really gave it some thought, realized that my first, and this might be kind of a controversial and hot take, But my first experience with extreme horror really comes down to uh, the Bible. (laughs) Reading the Bible, I'm the daughter of an Episcopal priest. So I did 
I have read the Bible multiple times, and that is one of the most violent and disturbing books I have ever read in my life. Yeah, that Old Testament, <laughs> Old Testament's no joke. Well, yeah, and especially like books like um, Judges. Always, the one story that stood out to me the most, I I think I read it when I was like eight or nine, was in Judges, and it's the story of Jael, and she hammers a tent spike through Sisera's skull to initiate the liberation of the Canaanites. <laughs> and as a child, like the version that I read was very descriptive and very like, it, it doesn't hold back. And it tells like she hammers this spike through this guy's head. And then you have all of these situations of sexual assault and incest and all of these horrible things that happen in the Bible. And that is really where I started to get fascinated by this morbid content and this level of, of, of violence. And it just kind of followed me through the rest of my life. And then we, I don't know about you all, but it kind of spurs this fascination with like Greek mythology, Roman mythology, all of the violence, brutality of these same themes that pop up over and over and over again, and they don't hold back at all. And then before you know it, you're an adult person, you're reading Hubert Selby Jr. Like for me, Last Exit to Brooklyn was one of the most horrifying books I've ever read, even though the horror of that is not specifically like splattery or slashery. It's horrifying. But then really getting into it, like Jose Saramago, Blindness, that socio-political satire that is very violent. People are set on fire. There's sexual assault, like just the in man's inhumanity to man. And that stuff was so horrible that going into books like The Slob and Womb were almost like a step down. <laughs> and I think, I think part of it, it's so many people think that splatterpunk extreme horror has to be, and I mean, it's a very confrontational genre and I love it that. Is. It Absolutely. is. Absolutely. You know, they're going to talk about very taboo subjects, subjects that people, they exist, sex trafficking, you know, assault, but these are all subjects that people kind of want to look away from. And then we have this genre that's saying, we no, we're not looking away from it. We're exploring it. And then we're going to explore our humanity uh, in regards to these, you know, subjects. But when I talk about extreme horror to somebody who's new, I think it's somewhat nice to let them know that this is not all about blood and, and guts. There are some books that have disturbed me that have almost no violence in them. Yes. And, you know, like Last Exit to Brooklyn's a great example, but it doesn't have to be that extreme to be extreme horror and watching people and helping people experience and getting to know that helps them dip their feet into it a little yes. bit more. But Absolutely. then once those little feeties are dipped in, they want to just plunge right into the other stuff. They just don't necessarily know how to find that footing. So that's Absolutely. what we are here for. <laughs> Absolutely. And so this is, that's one of the reasons that I think The Groomer is an important book. Um, yes, it's extreme. And I personally have not read it yet, but I do oh. know what it's about. But I think it's an important book because this is happening right now. Um, it happens every day, you know, that children get taken and, and those types of things are done to them. Um, you know, it needs to wake parents up Absolutely. because we're living in a time where 
you you can't just it's not the 80s anymore it's not the the 70s or the 60s anymore you can't just you know send your kids out and oh come home when the street lights turn on and you have no yeah. idea where your children are all day you have to watch them and then with you know access to the internet and tiktok and even facebook and oh, you know yeah. on, online gaming you know i i actually have a friend whose son was you know talking with an adult um and roblox yeah so it's there are not morals to the story but these things are real life things like in talia with you know the sex industry um where women are are being taken and and made to do things that they don't want to do and are you know killed and and you know, just never heard from again. It happens now. It's happening right now Absolutely. to someone. Absolutely. Um, another very important one, also from John Athan, Into the Wolves Den, which I found more heart wrenching and more difficult to get through, even than the groomer. And the groomer is hard. Those first five chapters will they they are a test. They are a test of your endurance, especially if you are a human who has any children in your life that you care for, no matter what your relationship, those first five chapters will challenge you. And Into the Wolves Den is basically just a continuation of that. Donna, you just made an excellent point about how these these are kind of modern day morality tales, right? So yeah. these, I, I, I'm, I kind of equate them to these are the Grimm's fairy tales of our time. Just about to say that Grimm's yes. fairy tales was fables to warn children back in the day. This is our version of the Grimm fairy tales. It got yes. dumbed down due to Disney, but back then the moral of the story was behave for your parents, don't go out after strangers, don't go after dark. Now it's be careful who you speak to online, be careful who you speak to on the street. Like Donna says, they're cautionary tales. Yes. And when you think back to the original Grimm fairy tales, like you said, Nat, they have been uh, cleaned up and smoothed over a little bit, but the originals were brutal, brutally violent, very graphic, uh, lots of very difficult material to get through. So I, I really do. I think that is a, a very focused correlation right there. They really are that there are modern fairy tales. So when we reflect on this boom in popularity that we've seen, especially since early last year, I think it's very easy for us to fall into the broad rationale that it's essentially the result of millions of people being stuck in their homes for months on end. And now we have all these authors who finally have the opportunity to pursue something they'd only just thought about in the past. But personally, I think there are far more factors that triggered this renaissance of extreme dark fiction that we're experiencing now. And and I don't think this is the first time in history that extreme horror has seen a significant increase in popularity. What would you say, ladies? I think the popularity has come because there's a lot of bad things happening with COVID and, you know, um, the just everything that's been happening over the last few years. People want to read horrific stories, but they don't want it to be real yeah you know there's enough 
horror on the news and you know what's going on people on lockdown and you know all the riots that were happening here in the states not too long ago um it's just you know people want to experience the horror but they don't want it to be real they don't even though some of the books like we were saying talia and the groomer and things like that are real um could be real and happening um if it's in a book it's not real. It's fake. It's fiction. It's an escape. Um, yeah. But you still want to read those types of things. I call it the psychological safety net. And especially like um, when you go to the comment sections, like on a, a, a TikTok that Sonia will post or, or maybe a book that you recommend in books of horror, there's always somebody who comes in and they're like, I didn't think it was scary. Is am I broken? Right. Is something wrong with me? I'm like, no, because just because something is disturbing doesn't mean it's going to be scary. Scary is subjective, number yep. one. But guess, number yeah. two, the more extreme the violence, the the more out there and surreal that narrative becomes, the bigger the psychological safety net that we have the more unrealistic it seems, the more unlikely it is for that thing to actually happen to us. And that takes some of the scariness away. It's reality that's scary. Yep. <laughs> Especially now. I hate Absolutely. quoting people, but was it, was it Stephen Graham Jones who said that people love horror because horror ends? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I think that was his quote, but I, and I think that's a huge thing is people open these books, but they can close, they can close the book. They can, they can walk away. They can retreat to the safety of their, their bedroom and have that sense of security and horror has long, we all know horror has long since been like the backbone of very uncertain times and not just with COVID, but we just live in a very weird terrifying unstable time so of course people are going to be reaching for for these assurances that they find in a book and with people now also being free to to write about grooming and and sex trafficking you know that's our reality and people want to have some experience with it so they kind of feel safe with it in a way that's you know, disconnected from their everyday life. And then when you pair that with kind of Nick Cutter is on almost, you know, the horror to read. Yes. So we're getting, we're getting into the mainstream. People are starting to find extreme horror, get an introduction to it. And that slowly leads to indie authors writing about, you know, topics that might be a little bit more extreme, but they're very prevalent and right now, people just need safety nets. And oh, these yes. are safety nets. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, I, I don't know about you ladies, but I, bizarro fiction was something that I had never, I didn't, I assumed that it had more of a science fiction-y feel to it. And that was my fault, my flaw there. But when I started to read bizarro fiction, like Matt Clark, Carlton Mellick, some of the other, oh, Matthew Cash, Maddie Bob Cash has like skyrocketed to the top of my list of favorite authors. These, the Bizarro is one of the places where they are using satire and surrealism to reflect and really 
um, make some very important statements about socio-political things and cultural issues that are happening. And it's almost, it takes me back to like Jonathan Swift, especially like uh, Chandler Morrison, I think kind of started that whole satire thing. But um, they're really people, I don't think, understand the depth of the the narratives that are coming through because there's a lot uh a lot of important messaging in some of these books and i i'm fascinated by the fact that recently daniel volpe and john baltisberger have announced but even like just within this past week that they're going to be bringing back the concept of chapbooks this year for 2022. Well, if you look at the history of chapbooks, chapbooks first were seen across Europe in the 16th, 16th century. So this was after the first wave of Black Plague yeah. came through Europe. <laughs> and before the, the second and third waves of plague spread across Europe as well as cholera and all of these other pandemics that came through. I just think that it's very interesting that at this point in time, after our own pandemic, these guys just suddenly their brains were like, hey, that was a cool thing. We should bring that back when actually they've kind of already been doing it. <laughs> I mean, chapbooks were the first version of like short pulp fiction street literature they were 40 pages or less. They were super, super cheap. So like that, that, is that not what Godless already does? Yeah. I was going to say, I think that's why Godless is, is having a moment. It needs a bigger moment. We need to pave away for a oh, bigger yeah. moment, but that's absolutely why Godless is having a moment right now. They, they are, I, I, I look at Godless. There are modern day street peddlers of Penny Dreadful. Penny Dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> These are our penny dreadfuls. You would get into that whole 1830s, the lurid, sensational, short, inexpensive, just downright gross and grody, horrible stories. <laughs> and I just think that it's amazing that we're cycling back through all of these trends. And when you guys, when you guys talk about the fact that they, they always seem to be spurned by like some kind of socio-political or cultural upheaval I think it's absolutely true it's absolutely true and it makes sense I mean it's it's books writing they kind of give a face to our fears and even if it's a terrifying monster a disgusting plague that's taking over that's so much easier to confront and deal with than the question mark of COVID or, you know, what are we going to do with these riots or just our lives turning upside down? Like the penny dreadfuls, the stories on Godless, they just channel our fears and they give us some type of monster to focus on. And we, when we have yes. a monster to focus yes. on, it's so much easier for us to deal with that than just this mysterious, this unknown. Cause we, as people, we hate that, right? I hate that. That triggers my yes. anxiety all the time. So having, you know, people are channeling that and they're 
they're giving us monsters that we can kind of focus on right now to help us get us through, you know, our own days, which I think we need right now so much. Absolutely. And that's why I read as much as I do, um, because life itself is is kind of I just need an escape. I need something to to get me through those days. You know, it's just one book after the other and (laughs) it keeps me going. And it's a um, distraction. It is. is. And plus, I don't go anywhere anymore because of COVID. I work from home. So I'm, you know, pretty much at home all the time. Um, so, yeah, I definitely feel like with COVID as well, a lot of people have been boxed into their own personal spaces. So socializing has become a big thing that's been affected. A lot of people have been desensitized to, you know, the monster side of things. So it's easier to read a book that is about a monster that doesn't exist than actually face real kind of social and economic distress. So oh, a lot of absolutely. people are falling into it. I mean, uh, I read a book recently, uh, Tender is the Flesh. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's Tarika. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Oh, my God. That book that speaking of satire. Yeah. And, and political commentary. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> that book's freaking wild. And it's everywhere now. That's it you know, is. You look at, you know, on, on TikTok, on social media, people are flocking to that book. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. And I, I think Tender is the Flesh is honestly a, a huge launching point right now for extreme fiction. And you, you nailed it. I mean, there, there's a reason people are going to that book specifically. The other one that really pushed things was Womb, Duncan Ralston. Yeah. I don't think he, I, I don't think he ever expected that, but that one really skyrocketed as far as its visibility goes, because it is totally out there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of my favorite books from last year because it encompasses so many different thoughts and no, 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 no. I'm so sorry. I just had a child invasion. Mm-mm. At least it wasn't my dog barking. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I I think back to times like World War One. Okay, so we had this huge global conflict in the early 1900s, and then it kind of ends at the end of that decade. So then we're heading into the 1920s when silent film really starts to happen. And Sonia, you were talking about it's so much easier to focus on the monsters and the things that that scare us rather than deal with the actual reality of things and that's where we start to see like Nosferatu mm-hmm. cabinet of Caligari Hexon uh, the man who smiled which is one yeah. of my all-time favorites <laughs> it's kind of terrifying <laughs> but that was all happening just as like and Annette, I don't mean to exclude you, but like the U.S. at that point in time, we had traumatized, well, same in the U.K., traumatized fathers coming home to countries yeah. in our country headed towards prohibition, the Great Depression, and a period of severe austerity. So the fantasy of something that was more terrifying than reality was a huge, a huge relief for a yeah. lot of people. 
I mean, you had the the Soylent Green and the the black and white movies, like the oh, B movie yeah. horror movies, thing without a face. Yeah, uh, yeah. Terror was just dreadful. But again, it you could literally look back at those movies and go, it's a puffed up balloon with an eye going. They were okay with believing in that rather than dealing with what was going on in front of them with the country, like you're saying, with everything that was... Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to make you joke. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> you know, like, as I was going through and I was trying to explore my own theories more, because I've been thinking about this for a long time, I when I was working on my bachelor's in nursing I had a minor in criminology so you have to take a lot of like sociology classes and then of course I'm a psych nurse so psychology psychiatry like that's my jam and I've been thinking about this especially the relationship with horror and society and culture and digging through this especially looking at like the 1930s through the gosh even through like the 90s like the, the 30s, you start to get hammer horror. That's yep. when that studio first comes through. But then the 1940s is really, really interesting because the thing that gets very popular at that point in time, we have Bar- Boris Karloff, Bella Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr. But so many of these movies and stories, The Wolfman, Cat People, The Mummy's Curse, The Picture of Dorian Gray, it's the introduction of like voodoo zombies, themes that are strongly about people not being who they present themselves to mm-hmm. be. Or being controlled by evil men or supernatural forces that force them to act in an evil way. Hello, Nazis. Hello, fascism. Like, I'm just fascinated by the way all of these themes come through and what becomes popular. Like, what about the 1950s, you guys? It gets wild. The Korean War and then Americans to just survive in and the UK, five decades of war and financial crisis, emotionally stunted fathers with war related post-traumatic stress disorder. And then you get the boom of suburbia, future focused thinking, materialism. And then all of a sudden we get sci-fi and pulp fiction. You mean it all tracks. It all tracks. What what we all of a sudden become interested in and what scares us. I just picked up a book on eBay. Um, I had seen a, a friend post it on Facebook, um, The Sound of His Horn by Sarban or Sarban, whatever. It Ooh. was published first in 1960. And it's basically about a guy um, who was fleeing the Nazis and then he gets knocked unconscious and wakes up a hundred years in the future by a world controlled by the Nazis. Um, And it's, there's like genetically modified leopard women. Um, There's human hunting in it. It's a short book. Um, The version that I got the cover price was 35 cents um because I got like the uh, an old old version of it you can find it on eBay or not eBay uh Amazon um but I'm really interested in seeing like how disturbing this book is because what's more disturbing than thinking of a world controlled by the Nazis yeah you said 1960s like that strikes me as like the very like the roots of bizarro yeah doesn't it guys right 
yeah. I mean, it sounds like Man on a High Castle. Uh, is it Man in a High Castle? Uh, yeah, on Amazon. Where the Nazis take... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's very similar to that, but with a bit more bizarro added to it, which I yeah. like the idea of. You said that's called The Sound of His Horn, and it's by Sarban. Sarban. S-A-R-B-A-N. I'm making notes. I've been taking notes. Yeah, I'm writing some of these down on my phone. Yeah. Yeah, So it's we're a bunch of nerds. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody get out your notebook. (laughs) It's amazing. And the sixties, the sixties are a fascinating time. Things really take a turn then, don't they? 60s and 70s yeah I mean like the rise of the slasher I mean that makes sense with like the you know the the wars and all of a sudden we're focusing on an enemy we have we suddenly have an enemy and then it ties in with a final girl with PTSD and or PTSD and trauma and again this all just tracks I, I just really love watching how all of these things just track and they really hold up what we as as a society are scared of and it's kind of scary to think that right now in our time it's everything you know we we don't necessarily have a slasher right now we have we have literally everything everything is terrifying to us as a society right now there's so much for our authors to explore yes that really (laughs) starts to come through I think in the 80s and the 90s too and with the 60s it was like a whole different ball game the, the, the assassination of Kennedy. Then we had the civil rights movement. It's, it's very much a reflection of our own time period. Honestly, though, isn't it the civil rights movement, sexual liberation. Then they were doing like drug experimentation, LSD, like Casey's experiments, <laughs> Casey. Russian sleep experiments. Yeah, anti-war protests, revolutionary politics. And that's when we start to get psychological horror mm-hmm. because Hitch- Hitchcock starts yeah. to really push boundaries. Now his relationship with women was a little bit, questionable in how he used them um but then you get mario bava and that's when it like the italian giallo really starts to come in and that was really more about what we don't see right and the fear in your peripherals it's peripheral fear what you don't see that's around you and the twilight zone rod sterling Fangoria said that the Twilight Zone, without the Twilight Zone, they believe that extreme horror wouldn't have made a turn at all because they believe the Twilight Zone actually pushed for that to be pushed forward into stories more so these days. Yes. And I think even those of us, I think all of us are our 80s and 90s kids, right? Late 70s, early 80s, 90s babies. And but if you can think, if you can, I know you're, you're, you're just a little newborn babe up there, Nat, (laughs) (laughs) but I bet every single one of you has a Twilight Zone episode that you'll never forget. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah. Mine was the one where the guy was on the operating table and, and he could feel them. He, he was aware, but he couldn't talk. He couldn't. And you can just hear if he's like thinking and you can hear his thoughts. Hey, I'm awake. I can, I, I know, help me, help me. Um, and it's funny because I backed um, battered broken bodies. Yes. Yes. On Indiegogo. 
yes. And so one of the drab, one of the perks that I got was um, having a drabble written based on a fear of mine. And Matt Shaw actually wrote my drabble similarly to that episode of the Twilight Zone, which it's is really Kirk. kind of that freaky. Experience. Yeah. So when I read that, I was like, oh my lord. That's <laughs> fucking wild. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Get out of my head, Shaw. Exactly. And you know, it's funny because <laughs> I got an email disaster. saying, what's, what's your fear? And so I, I told him what my fear was and he took it in that direction. And I don't even know how he, he did that, but it totally flashed me back to that episode of the twilight zone. And yeah, it was. Now terrifying. I'm thinking of randomly getting an email unprompted, just like, what's your fear? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> That would be a good book. I was going to say, that sounds like a good book. Sonia, have you thought about writing? (laughs) I'm sorry? Have you thought about writing? Because that sounds like a good prompt. (laughs) I was was talking to Daniel earlier. I'm like, please, Sonia, just take all of these ideas and put them on a piece of paper for me. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, like, I, I have had, like, experiences and stuff that I have sent. I've sent, like pictures of this weird guy who lives in my neighborhood we call him the the leprechaun of Reinholds um (laughs) because he legit he looks like a a, like a leprechaun and he wears like every piece of gold that he owns and he has like long I sent him to rain havoc and I was like please (laughs) if anybody (laughs) if anybody can turn this man into a story I know it's you please I was like I I don't know where he lives and I don't want to know I just know he's one of my neighbors and that terrifies (laughs) me (laughs) he's in the building he's he's somewhere in the same neighborhood as my children (laughs) and he's having fun at school today (laughs) I think he's amazing oh my god but yeah like it's just these things that have become iconic and legendary and they pass through like generation after generation after generation the is it memorial day the sci-fi channel always does their twilight zone marathons it's one of those holidays it's like two days of non-stop twilight zone i have a reminder in my phone that says start watching the fucking twilight zone i've had it in my phone for like three years now. <laughs> <laughs> it might be my sign <laughs> that one in dark shadows Dark Shadows, sci-fi in the summer times used to play Dark Shadows, the soap opera from the 60s and 70s every morning. My sister and I were fucking obsessed. Like obsessed. My sci-fi experience is like Dino Croc. You know, I love those. Those are, those are where my interests are. She likes the creature feature. I love my little creature features. So tell me uh, what your take is, ladies, on the 70s and satanic panic well isn't it like the 1970s all of a sudden we get amityville the exorcist rosemary's baby the omen uh the howling like what is that all about where is that coming from like post-vietnam all of a sudden we get devil crazy and I, I, I just find that fascinating. 
do you think it was their way of kind of demonizing the enemy to kind of i don't know cope with that the fact that they had gone over there to kill people it was easier to deface the person rather than actually make them a human being maybe it was easier to turn them into a monster that way in your mind your conscience is clear to an extent i'm not too sure my psychology is crap (laughs) (laughs) not my expertise but also like this is the first time that people are experiencing evil you know we we have young very young men very young people experiencing these these horrible things and I think you kind of have this like out of body experience when you're, when you're faced with that. So I think part of it could also just be confronting evil and maybe, yeah. you know, you can, you can beat Satan potentially. You can, you, you can do a ritual. You can protect yourself if you know what you're protecting yourself against in, in certain ways, the protagonist doesn't always win, but I think you lose that safety net when you're kind of picked up from your home and transported into this really terrifying place. That's hell. It's, you know, you come back home from hell and so many people don't come home from that. Um, so I, maybe that could lead into it again. Like you, I, I, not my expertise. I think you just said something very meaningful there when you said the protagonist doesn't always win. And when you think back on like our history through the eight, like the 1900s, like we had been victorious both the americans and the brits for almost every war up until the u.s got involved in vietnam right that's really where we first had to leave a conflict where technically we were not the winners there was not a good resolution of all of that and that was one case where you know the amazing superpower of america like we didn't we didn't have a great outcome from that and we lost a lot of young men and a lot of young men came home super traumatized and really dealing with all of these internal demons like in the mouth of madness oh yeah yeah. shit yes and it wasn't like that the same time they were doing like lsd experiments on um soldiers agent orange all of that and I, oh, oh, it all ties together. <laughs> yeah, I think with with the seventies and in, in, in Vietnam, um, when that ended, I think that really started. And let's see if I can phrase this right. I think it really started um, the movement of people not being so conservative. And then you get the movies like The Howling, The Exorcist. Um, you know, things like that. Um, and people are becoming a little bit more tolerant to horror. Yes. You remember the exorcist had an NC 17 rating. It was getting yeah. like banned. Yeah. Out of and, you know, and my parents, when I was growing up, my parents didn't care really what we watched, you know, and I was born in 75. So like around 85, I was 10. I was watching the howling. I was watching the exorcist. You know, my dad was um, in the army. So he was, you know, away and my mother was doing her thing. And I remember my brother and I were just sitting in front of the TV watching the howling. Um, My parents didn't care. And I think most people, you know, moving into the eighties when, you know, you get those B movies, like, you know, the monster squad and yes! Transylvania six, 5,000 and, yes! you know, those the types campy. of movies. Yeah. Yes. 
so you move into that type where it's like okay you know it's a scary movie but it's not really scary and you know my kids can watch it and you know kids parents were you know back then it started to be it was less regulated in the theaters with movies you know you could go and drop your 13 year old off your 12 year old off to see the scary movies like now it's like oh you got to have an adult and an id and yes you know yes yes because now it's it's shifted what was considered horror back in the 80s and 70s is not really considered horror now no i saw night of the living dead when i was eight years old and it was on syndication on television terrified me scared the living shit out of me started a lifelong obsession with zombies i i for decades i would hold my breath driving past cemeteries somewhere along the line i heard that if you hold your breath when you go like past the cemetery like something about like zombies or ghosts or something and i I, did it for years it's a new Orleans thing thing. you can't pass it Apparently, you have to hold your breath when you go past the cemetery because the ghosts can hitchhike. That's yeah. what a story around. I don't know where I learned this, but I like got so obsessed. And it all started after Night of the Living Dead. And zombies alone have so much, uh, especially Romero's zombies have so much social commentary attached to them that's a whole episode in and of itself and the 2000s if we're, if we're tracking time oh, frames like zombies societal yeah. collapse then we're, we're moving into the 2000s yes yep. social media social media zombies like oh my god hell yeah the cell Absol- or cell oh, from yeah. stephen king yeah oh oh that was one god. of my favorites by him even though it wasn't one of his best I still liked it because it's a total reflection of this of society even today. I don't know what year it was written, but you know, it was all about people who had cell phones and they turn into these zombie type creatures. Yes. Yes. That was an amazing book. And now here we are. Like my son, my six-year-old son, they teach thank god now in like kindergarten they start teaching emotional intelligence how you label your emotions so every day they have to circle an emotion now i have a six-year-old who's going in school every day and circling the cry face because he would rather be at home on his tablet playing roblox (laughs) and i'm like oh my god Like, I have a child whose emotions are being affected by his obsession with technology. <laughs> like, this is crazy. <laughs> How do That's I think? Like, the oh 90s for me, like, my parents would let me watch anything I wanted to watch. So I watched Ghost Ship. I watched Jason. I've got the entire backlog of Elm Street. Me too. I've got everything. And it was like the norm. You know, I could just sit there and watch Child's Play. I could sit there and watch Hellraiser. Like, for me, I was a Clive Barker fan anyway. So at the age of 12, I watched Hellraiser. And it was not even an eye was batted about it. But that whole scene where the skeleton's being built up from the floor (laughs) upwards was mind-blowing for me. Like, I really do prefer prosthetics over CGI. I think it's scary when it's on a human. Let's come oh. back for an episode about that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, Jim Henson. I think Jim Henson was really one of my biggest like defining uh, artists when it comes to my love of horror. And you wouldn't naturally relate Jim Henson to horror, but Labyrinth, 
we could see the correlation like all of those special effects the puppetry uh the storyteller like these were dark dark the uh, oh my god I love it and And I I hate being like kids these (laughs) days but I don't have tater tots uh some of the people I'm close to do and they're so regulated now that you know they have tv time and what they're exposed to and maybe it's for the better I have no idea but they're very limited in what they're exposed to and how and when where everybody here is just like whatever like flop down you know watch tv and I think that kind of shaped everybody's fascination and horror here so I'm also just curious to see how that will track with like the younger generations who have parental settings on their life as a whole versus just like uh don't scare yourself too much kids and that's quite a good point actually because you've got back like you say when we were kids there was no like now kids are being told you can't watch this this will upset you there's trigger warnings all over the place are these kids going to get to the point where they go ah sod it I'm going to go and buy a whole back catalogue of Danny Volpe and Matt Shaw or are they just going to go the opposite direction and be really terrified of the world it just depends on how this whole thing will affect them as well in the long run yeah, especially now with, with the quarantine, like we, my friends have kids that they don't know life without quarantine and they have baby bumpers on everything. I'm just like, I will slip you, you know, Volpe. <laughs> I will, when yes, you're holding up, I yes. will leave it under your pillow yeah. to expose you to something. <laughs> well, Sonia, I'm curious here because you have like 60,000 more followers than I do. My 2,487% of them are young teenage girls like between the ages of like 14 to like 28 but most of them are like really young women do you like do you know like what's the majority of your audience on TikTok like it's young it's young women and and when you look at my comment section too so I I'm diving I'm talking more about extreme I still try to talk about you know horror just like as a as a general uh genre but you know my, my most popular videos are always about the books that have disturbed me. You know, they have over a million views, which as a creator is insane, but it also shows how hungry people are for these types of books. And they are skewing fairly young as well. Yes. And my biggest questions are, how do you get into extreme horror? And can I have like a, a disturbing book starter pack? Or yes, same. they're just so hungry for it. And I think part of that is like the pushback of, you know, you have set rules. Kids are going to push against them. I don't know about like the youngy, youngy ones right now that really have the kind of bumpers on, but people young women especially young men they want this they're hungry for it they they just don't know how to get it and they they don't necessarily want to dive into the deep end right away they want to kind of just go into lukewarm water and get you know get a little comfortable you know turn the heat up and I'm all here for like guiding people through um something that I know that you have spoken about as well when people do come to you though it's I don't know their histories. Um, I know there's like a whole dialogue about trigger warnings. Should we have them? Should we not have them? Yeah. But I think when you dive into, you know, extreme disturbing fiction, especially when you are guiding newer and younger audiences into it, I just don't know if I've kind of found an appropriate balance between properly warning them and just 
you know, letting them find out for themselves and just, you know, here are these books or yeah, where, where is that line? And I know that writers as well kind of have that line with when you're writing from what I've read from the interviews that I've read, you know, there's also discussion on, you know, what's the line between writing these things. And so I think that's also a big discussion viewership wise and writing wise that yeah. as a community. Yeah. I actually just had a young woman reach out to me and ask, can you give me a list of books that will extreme horror books that can help me process grief? And that is one of the most fascinating requests I've had so far. And I have options, but I'm really taking my time kind of curating this list for this young woman because of a lot of those considerations and really trying to target like different levels of grief and the, and the ways that it's processed. But just the fact that I can go into the catalog of extreme horror that's available and find options that are suitable for a a personal journey through the process of grieving uh, is amazing to me. (laughs) And it shows the depth of, you know, these aren't just... And I'm not against shock for shock value. Like I, I love those books. I grab them. Me too. I them. But I, I, <laughs> I think, think we all shows, do. <laughs> there's substance here. And I think extreme horror is just a really great way to explore grief, to explore trauma, to explore just awful things that are happening in the world. And one of my biggest critiques, so I have these young, you know, generations coming to me and, you know, how do I get involved? They also have older people, you know, usually criticizing me, like, why am I highlighting these atrocities? Why am I highlighting books that, you know, talk about sex trafficking? And my response is, you know, why do you want to look away? Yeah. Um, You know, Burner by Robert Ford is, I just finished that. I'm not sure if you guys have read that book. That's all about sex trafficking and like the realities of how it not only ruins that person's life, but kind of the cascading effect. And then at the end, he puts all of these statistics about it. And it's, it's a very real, real problem. So why are we as a society also trying to turn away from it? Right. Right. And I think some of that is generational too, because when you, there was a big boom, um, in sexploitation in the 1970s, it kind of started in the late sixties, but then we move into the sexploitation films and black exploitation films, of the 1970s. And then you get movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You get, I spit on your grave last house on the left, which were a mix of sexploitation plus like female, like revenge, female driven revenge stories, usually stemming from a sexual assault. And now, nowadays with the Me Too movement and all of that, like for our, our generations now, this is very much a relevant conversation. And for the older people who might come in and be like, well, why are you highlighting these things? Why are you putting this stuff out there? Because young people want to know, <laughs> like, it's almost educating yourself. I think a lot of us go into horror horror because we have anxiety (laughs) (laughs) yes like if I read if I read about this horrible thing then I have the horrible thing in my head and then I can prepare for if that horrible thing ever happens (laughs) one movie that stuck with me 
Monica Belushi was in it called Reversed. Oh, Irreversible. Irreversible. Irreversible messed me Monica Bellucci and Vincent Castle. I don't know if you ladies have ever seen this film. I have it on DVD. Irreversible. Irreversible. It it goes backwards. It moves backwards. It is one night. Two men and a, a woman and a night on the town in Paris. There is a horrible, horribly brutal assault that happens in the middle of this movie so uh, huge trigger warnings it's one of the most disturbing horror films that i've ever seen and it's really only because of one scene in the middle but that scene is like seven minutes long seven minutes long longest assault in horror movies and for me it hit home because it made me so scared to walk home alone for about two weeks now i lived on my own at the time and I moved in shortly after with my mate Smithy, who showed me the bloody thing. I'm your responsibility now. Yeah, this is your fault. <laughs> now no, I know I need to protect me. myself. Smithy <laughs> showed me so many dark, like grindhouse and like video nasties. And I think that prepared me for reading and writing into the extreme horror route. A Serbian movie was one of them. And I'll hate him forever for that. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's another one. It's very controversial within the community because there are lots of varying opinions about it and its brutality. Um, But at the same time, it does touch on something that we all know is happening in the world. Same with like Hostel. I'm not, (laughs) even though I read these books and all that stuff, I'm not a huge like torture porn person when it comes to films like August Underground and all that stuff. I have them. I own them because I'm a collector. Do I really enjoy watching them a lot? No, I appreciate them for like the commentary that they have. But Hostel, like not one of my favorite movies, even even though I know that there are actually in this world, people who have the ability to pay for the chance to torture and murder other people. Like, again, it's just confronting the reality of the vicious brutality of the world around us. I think Donna did an amazing job with Night Shift. Amazing job with her, if I'm saying that right, because how she did the story and I was like it was my first ever extreme horror that I picked up was Donna's work and I was like okay let's go and we got a security guard <laughs> oh I think that one was Lindsay wasn't it was that Lindsay, Lindsay? Oh, Lindsay? Lindsay. 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 yeah, yeah. I'm, thinking of, I'm thinking of everybody <laughs> I know we're in the godless community we like we read like eight books a week <laughs> <laughs> Twelve this week. Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But yeah, like it's like those are those those we we don't want to consider the fact that those things really happen, but they do. You know what else is 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 another um, set of books that is unfortunately likely true. Ryder Kinley's David Longbottom series. Yes. Where he's oh, a billionaire. And so like Bloody Moon, the very first one mm-hmm. where he has this wedding and I, I can't remember, it's been so long since I read it, but Th- Thailand, I think they're, they're in Thailand, Thailand for yeah. his honeymoon. 
Um, and I'm not, I don't want to give it away. Spoiler alert, if anybody has not read it and is watching this, um, you know, he basically marries this woman to kill her. Yeah. And it's like set up as his birthday by his mother, you know, yep. and then the subsequent stories, I star in one of them. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. She does. Yep. This is not an exit. Me yep. and Nicholas Robinson. Yep. I haven't read yep. that one yet. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get good. on that one now. <laughs> but Ryder did a really good job, you know, it, you know, modeled it after uh, American Psycho. Um, but if you don't think that there are billionaires out there that are so whacked out that they're just killing people just to kill them and getting away with it, you're naive. Right. It does happen. Right. You know, don't sue me for slander, but I'm looking at you, Bezos. <laughs> just for the record i'm not affiliated with this woman at all <laughs> well you know what with Ryder, like you brought up that whole brett easton ellis american psycho thing which like with the 1980s and rignomics and just like the over stylized slasher films that we start to get there the invasion of our dreams the invasion of our homes like halloween was kind of at like the end of the 70s right 1978 one of my all-time favorites but i feel like that really tipped us into that you know that wave of friday the 13th and -hmm. then we get nightmare on elm street and all of these slasher films that take us through the 1980s but that was the time of like Reaganomics, Iran Contra, the Cold War. Um, and it was the the rise of Stephen King, really. Like, yeah, he's been writing since the like late 60s through the 70s, but that's when he really boomed. And that's when Clive Barker really started to yeah, come Clive through. Barker. People really got into him because he was very stylized, very and uh, oh. Hellraiser 2. Oh, one of my all when, favorite when I found out that, so I fell in love with the movie Nightbreed. Oh, and when, yeah! When I found out when I found out that that was based off of Cabal by Clive Barker, mm-hmm. I made my mother drive me to a bookstore at 8.30 at night in a snowstorm because there was a bookstore in Portsmouth, New Hampshire that had one copy left of that book. And this was, of course, before the internet, before you could just buy tons of shit online. I made my mother and she was not happy about it at all, but I begged her and I wanted her because I was in, I think I was probably like a senior in high school. So I didn't, or maybe a junior because I did not have my driver's license at the time. So I made her drive me up there to get that book. And I blew through it in a couple hours. You know, I I read it, but I just fell so in love with Nightbreed. And then to find out it was based on a book, I was like, I have to have it. I have to have it. Oh, well, that's also the decade of the uh, Lost Boys. The Lost Boys, yes. Oh, my God. Like, I was never into, like, vampires, like, huge into vampires. I think the 90s was when I really started to, like, read, like, Anne Rice and stuff. Of course, Interview with a Vampire, because that started to come through. But it The Lost trash. Boys, I remember that, like, <laughs> they were so cute. 
They <laughs> Cute little Keeper vampire. Sutherland. Yes. And what's his face? <laughs> I'm pretty sure most of my issues with relationships stem from the lost voice. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never live up. <laughs> I feel like vampires, like we started with the Lost Boys and then vampires could never live up to the expectation that I, I had based off of that movie alone. Yes. I'm trying, I want to like vampires. I really do. I really do. And I'm really trying so hard. It's just not working for me. You know, vampires aren't really a big thing for me either, but they got super huge again in the 1990s. Yeah, with Laurel K. Really Hamilton and Yes, Poppy yeah. Z Bright. Poppy Z Bright, yep. Yes, who is I now that is that is the dead name. Um Billy. Billy Martin. Billy Martin. Billy yes. Martin. Um, but when he was writing under the name Poppy Z Bright, I feel like he and Anne Rice and all of them, they really brought the vampires back. But the nineties were kind of trash. funny, weren't they? Yeah, Anne Rice is trash. I've never Woo! read Anne Rice. I'm everybody, everybody, confess get here. Your, get your forks and knives and your plates because Donna is serving up a buffet of hot takes. Yeah. <laughs> I respect Anne Rice, but I, I can't get into Anne Rice. I was brought up on, like you say, like you're saying, Stephen King, Clive Barker. So when I actually read Anne Rice's uh, interview with the vampire, I was like, yeah, it was all right. I much prefer yeah. Angela Carter. If we're gonna look at iconic female writers, give me Angela Carter. Give me the Bloody Chamber oh, in the Company of Wolves. Oh, oh yeah, my God! So one of my all-time favorite movies. Oh, I might have to watch that tonight. What a brilliant, brilliant woman! I, I just if y'all. People listening, if you have never read Angela Carter's The Bloody Chamber, you need to change that. She was one of the original feminist horror authors. She wrote non-horror as well, but it's just a remarkable book. But yeah, but the 90s, the 90s are kind of funky though, because we got a real mishmash of all kinds of stuff. I don't know about y'all, but after I watched The Craft, I was like 100% sure I was a witch. And I went through Still think my, I'm a witch. Yeah. I know I I'm went a witch. Through my, like, my <laughs> no, no, like, no, no idea what you mean. No, no. <laughs> I, I was like, yes, this is this is what I need in my life. And I I just, oh my God. But we got like super into well, the 70s too, with like the whole cult thing. But we, uh, Ghosts, demons, vampires, werewolves, zombies, devils, monsters. Then we got into like dystopian because Richard Matheson started to get real popular Mm -hmm. in the 90s, even though he'd been writing since the 70s, 60s. That's when we got, uh, was I, when did I Am Legend come out? Like the early 2000s? Early 2000s, yeah. Yeah, Will Smith. But all of a sudden, people were like, oh, Hell House is a thing, even though that book had been around for decades. Like, I, I just think it's interesting that all of a sudden horror really blew up in the 90s. And I don't know if it's because it was a time where there was nothing else. Hap- like, I, I can't really think of anything huge that was going on in the 90s other than Bill it was Clinton. the 90s. People were oh, angry. People were angry. Oh, yeah, we were angry about wanted- the 80s. <laughs> we were still angry about 
Reaganomics, the <laughs> trickle down Listen, economy. Like, I don't, like the '90s <laughs> make no sense to me. I mean, whatever. I, I love the '90s for that reason, and I think that weird hodgepodge of horror is exactly what the '90s is, and I'm here for it. And I still like go back and live in those bubbles sometimes because I need them to feel better. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. One of my all-time favorite horror movies from the 1990s is Idle Hands. Yes. 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 <laughs> like and the it's living so end having funny. a little musical cameo in that. Yes. Perfection. <laughs> I freaking love that movie. I might have to watch that one tonight. Damn. I'm and a- you can't talk 90s horror movies without Shaun of the Dead. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. I think Shaun of the Dead, I mean, I don't do like top fives, top tens because I can't, but that isn't a top five, but a top ten, hands down, for sure, Shaun of the Dead. If you guys haven't watched Truth Seekers on Amazon Prime, you really should. (laughs) Simon Pegg and uh, what's his Oh, the same because, oh, I can't remember his name. I'm having a dope moment, but they play paranormal investigators. (laughs) fantastic so freaking funny it's amazing it's amazing uh, the, the early 2000s the early 2000s my one of my all-time favorite movies from the early 2000s is what we do in the shadows yes i love that taiko ytt and jermaine clement oh my god that's when i'm like maybe i can mess with vampires again and leave yes, into the tv yes, show I'm like yes. these are my vampires you Dude, they are vampires. like the only vampires i'm obsessed with but oh my god that whole franchise oh i can watch that movie over and over and over again so the funniest thing is my first experience with what we do in the shadows the movie is a friend of mine and i went to walker stalker con in boston and my friend was working in Boston at the time and we met at her office and she had made up a batch of fake blood. So we like made ourselves up into zombies and we were walking through downtown Boston with this makeup on and we get to walk our stalker con. Now it was warm. So she was wearing shorts and she had put like all this blood on her legs and we go upstairs to the screening room and there's this movie playing and I'm like, what the hell is this? And then there's like this va- vampire vacuuming the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> And it was just, it was just hilarious. And we just sat there for the longest time, just watched the whole movie. And I was like, this is amazing. These, this is fantastic. And that was like the highlight of Walker Stalker Con for me was seeing that movie and meeting one of the guys from the show, the oddity oddities that took place. um, They had a shop in New York. um, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Follow yeah. him on Instagram. Yeah. So uh, I met Obscura. one of the. Yes, Obscura. Yeah. Yep. So, but yeah, that was Overpriced, my first. But we love them. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, seeing that at Walker Stalker Con was like, that movie was just amazing. And I've, you know, oh my God, gotten into the it. series. And, yeah. It. Not you, Guillermo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I <laughs> Five spits for an enemy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, yeah. yeah. (laughs) The funny thing about the like 2010s, like 2000, 2010s leading up to where we are now is I feel like we really took a turn towards um, uh, parodying horror 
we get a lot more of the comedy horror coming through more making fun of it and i'm not quite sure what that's all about um or why or if it was just part of the 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 natural evolution like we take these things that we've taken so seriously this whole time so now we're gonna do send-ups of them but at the same time like that was when we really started to get like saw it was like two very we had very hardcore and then we had very just like campy and fun right I think that was a very fun period of right and then of course like the wars of like this you know this one sucks you should be watching saw and watching people just get murdered and we had a lot of gatekeeping I think that's why I kind and I I think we're seeing that again now um but I think that's why or one of the reasons why horror became very fun because in the 80s I love reading 80s horror it doesn't make sense it's about this weird creature that comes from nowhere we don't have to over explain it which I think we kind of got into authors were like and it came from here. And this is the background. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. Tell me it comes from the sea and its tentacles are ripping people in half. And I feel like we kind of lost that a little bit. People became so serious about the genre where the message boards of the 90s were just such an awful place, um, especially yes. as a woman or anybody who wasn't a white man. And I think part of the fun just came from making fun of those places and taking ownership of, of the movies again a little bit. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to admit that when it comes to like the 2010s up until like 2020, I kind of dropped out of the horror fiction scene. I was really more film based at that point in time. I was working full time and I had babies and I wasn't getting much. Babies will do it for you. (laughs) Right. I'm working 12 hour shifts in the emergency room with two kids under four years of age, like just wasn't happening for me. Reading wasn't happening for me. So looking at that decade, it's like a black hole for me. I don't know what was happening. I don't know what was going on then. Like what was horror fiction in the 2010s? Where, what, what kind of level of extreme did we have going on at that point in time? Cause I was out of the loop. Yep. Me as well. I was out of the loop. My reading career, I'll say, um, yes, I read horror, but 95% of what I read was, don't disown me, romance. (laughs) (laughs) I was like all into the romance books. Um, And it was partly because of somebody that I worked with at the time, her and I would just read books like crazy and switch, you know, um, trade them back and forth. But then I got into Laurel K. Hamilton, and then I kind of got bored with her stuff. Um, because her her stuff really turned into crap and then I would read the odd one-off horror books and and then I discovered the indie horror scene and I was like what I have been missing so much yeah yeah it really just the revival for me just started to happen in like 2020 and I was reading on my own and then I got on the ticky tackies (laughs) And uh, all of a sudden, there was Sonia (laughs) (laughs) and Brandon and Stephanie at Books in the Freezer. Yeah, she was a big influence on me, too. And I dropped off, too. Um, My TikTok was me coming back into it. I guess everybody just, like, left the genre for a little bit, it seems like. Um, It does kind of feel like a dead space. 
I was tired of just fighting. Um, not, I would never really participate, but I would read, you know, message boards. And I was so tired of just negativity and infighting and watching women try to make a place for themselves and people just being so nasty and not just women, but, you know, writers of color. And I just needed to take a step away and I found fantasy. So I, I did like the Lord of the Rings kick. I found fantasy. Oh and, and yeah. Sci-fi. That's where we were. Lord of the Rings. Um, and then I kind of came back to it. A friend uh, started giving me books again and indie horror is what brought me back into the fold as well. So then um, I don't know why I knew, tw- I knew that I knew there was a writing community on Twitter, but um, I, what's a Twitter, right? I didn't think of checking Instagram. I didn't know that Instagram was this amazing community. Um, but I checked TikTok cause it was kind of like the thing of the time and nobody was talking about horror except for, I think, uh, it was Brandon and, uh, Ladybug books. Yeah. Stephanie wasn't on at the time. And I, um, I don't think I knew of her podcast at the time. So I saw these two people talking about horror. I didn't necessarily think of reaching out to Instagram. And again, Twitter was just my no man's land. And so I started mine, but then all of a sudden, you know, you popped up and we, we had, um, I don't want to butcher any of their names. We had so many people just like pop up. And I feel like indie horror is the catalyst and, and people just coming back to horror uh, obviously with mainstream, um, I think like the walking deads, uh, made horror fun again and brought horror into yes. the mainstream. Yes. And, you know, it's not just kind of like this small section of the population likes horror. Now everybody loves horror. Um, so people are, are popping into these spaces and going into the indie subgenres because that's the next step. So, yeah. And again, it brings us back full circle. Here we are at the tail end of the pandemic, we have lived through such huge societal, cultural unrest, crisis, uh, societal trauma. And now all of a sudden, boom, horror is it. Yeah. Horror is the thing. We are all over it again because it helps us really escape. Escape. I want to talk more about uh, women in horror. First, we're going to take a quick break, do a little ad. It's time for the ad zone, bitches. We'll be right back. Hey, kids. Looking for a way to affordably access the best and wildest independent extreme horror currently in existence? Godless Horrors is the place to be. Go to www.godless.com to gain access to thousands of extreme horror and splatterpunk books from the genre's best and brightest independent authors. Godless Horrors offers every title in their catalog in a variety of formats to ensure compatibility with your favorite digital reading device. Strapped for cash? No worries. Godless has a fantastic collection of free titles ready for instant download, with other titles in their collection rarely exceeding $3 to $4. Again, go to www.godless.com or download the app and tell them what the fuck you're looking for. Come join the Godless tribe today. Forever delightfully deviant. Forever Godless. 
while we were on that little break, Sonia and I started talking (laughs) (laughs) really about where do we personally see Indie Extreme going, heading in the future, and how can we within the community impact its trajectory? And, you know, both Sonia and I feel very, very strongly about the impact of women in indie extreme horror from the social media perspective she and i have the ability to look at data and research regarding who our primary audience is and for both of us (laughs) sonia you said your percentage your your data is like what percentage of men it's, it's, I think the last time I looked, it was 4.2%. 4.2. 4. 4.2. Which is so little. It's crazy, but it's, it's women in my comments. It's women driving the discussion. It's women asking me to help drive discussions. You know, this is, there's a space for us here. This is our space. And I just, I love, I love watching people come into their own and just claim things as their own. And I think that kind of translates to amazing writers. I mean, at this point, I'm focusing on on women authors, pretty, not all, but like predominantly. And I mean, this space is ours to explore. And I am so excited to see where this goes. You know, it's fascinating to me because the most vocal, supportive, um, and just genre boosting people involved in this community are people like Donna and Nat and you, Sonia, and myself. When it really comes down to it, it, it's remarkable to me that horror is considered a man's genre. And I don't know if that's because it is more violent focus. People don't expect that as a society and a culture. People don't expect women to be into things that are objectively violent. But without the female fan base, especially in indie extreme, all of these male authors, and I love you guys because you guys are giving me the content that's making me happy. And without you, I probably, I wouldn't be doing any of this. But without the women who are buying these books and talking about these books and pushing these books, there would be no community. I, I really believe that horror is a, a, a female community. <laughs> it's our safe like, space. <laughs> it, yeah. and we, we are the foundation of the community. We really are. We are an enormous percentage of of who are buying these books and who are reading these books. And And why do you think that is? I don't know, for me personally, I think it's because if you look at the history of women in general, in the world, horrific things, yeah. yeah. Oppressive and, you know, it. women are, you know, mostly the victim. And to be able to be in the horror community and, you know, it's because what's been done to our, you know, female ancestors is nothing compared to these books that I, you know, (laughs) you know. It's kind of like taking an ownership. It's a very cathartic experience, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was like, I 
turn around and says I'm an extreme horror writer and it's like oh doesn't that sort of thing like hurt your heart or are you, you you don't cry into a pillow at night when you're reading about massacres of these kind of it's like no love I was brought up on Hellraiser I'm pretty yeah. sure I can handle a dildo being cut off and shoved up someone's bum yeah well yep. you know what Nat your work in particular is one that really stands out because you are a woman I believe writing for women. You write strong female characters and especially with what's eating you, this was a a female to female story. The the relationship was about two women. The dynamic was between two women and there were levels to that relationship that all women could relate to. And I I I appreciate that so much more. I love books. I love books that where, you know, that are your standard, like female final girl trope. That's great. That's great. I'll still read them. They're fun. But when I can pick up an extreme horror book where that female character is empowered and not just a victim and has strength and a cleverness to her and is a critical thinker and a problem solver and can just get through this traumatic situation and be victorious. Like it's, it's such a breath of fresh air. (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed that in your work for sure. And I think that's why so many of us love Talia Volpe's Talia character is that despite all of the horrendous, horrific things that happen to this woman yes she has to make a deal with a supernatural creature but what she becomes is just this oh my god this embodiment of rage she's to me she's a character that's like an example of the me too movement she's the embodiment of all of the anger and the hostility and that desire for revenge that women have been carrying around for decades so good nice work dan (laughs) but i think that's why she really resonates especially with female readers we're like hell yeah you know uh, who uh, matt shaw his book uh porn uh was like that and um oh my god what's the oh there's another one about a sex worker who brings someone into her house. Oh my God, I'm blanking out. But he also writes books like that, that have a good twist to them. And I think I'm um, like Samantha Kolesnik, Kolesnik. and um, Kenzie, Kenzie Jennings. Jennings. Like she, uh, Kenzie Jennings to me was such a game changer. And I think part of it is women are reclaiming how we're perceived in in fiction, because with the final girl trope, um, I do, I, I love those books. I enjoy those books as well, but there's still that trope of, you know, not necessarily a victim, but of, of overcoming and you just, it's so far removed from being messy. And I think women in horror are taking how women are perceived and deconstructing tropes. Like, Yes, I'm a final girl. Yes, I'm going to murder who is murdering or trying to murder me, but it's because I'm angry right now and 
I have no sympathy and I'm just going at you because you're coming at me and that's it. It's not, there's no social commentary. It's just women allowed to be angry and vengeful and, and taking things out on society. And sometimes a lot of times when men write that we, we don't get that we get, you know, Oh, my nipples are really hard. And then excuse me, sir, I have no idea how my nipples are relating to me hiding yes, in a meat locker from exact, a murderer right exactly, now. Exactly. Exactly. And I just, I love just reading books about women just being nasty and not being good people, sometimes being the murderer, not necessarily like the victim. And that's just, that's what, that's, that's the space that I'm in. That's the headspace that I want to be in right now. So that, that's where my reading is going, but it, it's women just banding together, writing real people, not character, caric, caricatures, whatever, and letting us be, we're just letting women be. And I love that. And that's why I think Danny is an important book. Um, oh, by yes. Angelique Jordana. She's yep. going to be, she'll be number one. Y'all should read Danny by Angelique Jordana if you haven't. Uh, number two, she'll be joining us for the LGBTQ plus panel. Nice. I think she's a, she's a very, very important uh, writer, especially representing the sapphic lesbian yeah. community. Um, and Danny is an exceptional, exceptional example. Yes. It is. Um, I, she, the, you know, the lead character, the, the, the slasher, the serial killer is a female. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, goes through, you know, you learn about her past trauma from her parents because she's also a lesbian um, and what she had to endure, endure from her family. Um, I think it's a really important book, um, especially for young women who are lesbian um, to let them know that they can be a badass. They mm-hmm. can, they are represented, re- represented in literature. Yeah. You know, it's not just the token lesbian friend, um, you know, of a book. Yeah. Yeah. Main character. Yes. Yeah. Another one that was one of the most stunning books that I read last year. And I regret not making space for it on my top 10 which is why top 10s and top five just suck, why right why? guys they're top whack. 36 is. they're so whack yeah. <laughs> i didn't even make one i, I could tried. Yeah, I, I, I tried i did my best but oh man sarah tantlinger yes it's to be devoured it's my personal Holy... mission to make everybody read to be devoured honestly and Haley piper shit. as well Oh, Haley Piper, especially representing the trans community. Yeah. Eve Harms, transmuted from the Rewinded yeah. Die series. Yeah. Oh, my God. Taking the lived experience of trans people and relating it into a, a bizarro setting. It was brilliant. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. She'll also be on the LGBTQ panel coming up in the next month or so. And these people, I can't, w- I can't wait to see Haley Piper at AuthorCon. I am so excited because these books- We're going to have a good time. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> um, But to be devoured was one of the most- uh, I, I have a very difficult time explaining how it affected me emotionally. It's one of those. Right? Yeah, it's, I had, I went through physical reactions, yes. not even just to the writing, because the writing's stunning. The, the climax where 
I don't want to give away spoilers. Yes. It's a climax of the scene. I literally put it down and walked away because I'm like, no, not right now. Mm-hmm. But just being able to see women in those spaces, there there were nasty. There were there were really gross spaces. But she didn't hold back. And I, I absolutely love that. And I think that we need that. People are so scared. And I know that there's not, you know, enough sapphic representation. There's, there's not enough representation. So I understand that people are, they get a little sensitive when representation might not be flowery and glowing, but that's reality. That's reality. And we need to see that reflected on, on paper especially when it's surrounded by this beautiful prose that like give me goosebumps. Her writing gives me goosebumps. Amazing. Amazing. That's why she's a Bram Stoker award yeah. winner. Like she, ah, uh, it, it's, it's just an incredible book. And Gemma Moore. Yes. Uh, Dear Laura. I, uh, Pen Pal was one of the big, um, big name books on social media last year and I read it and it was all right like I know a lot of people really really loved it really enjoyed it I expected more from it maybe that's my hot take but I didn't get from it what I expected to get from it then I read Dear Laura by Gemma Moore and it gave me everything and more that I had wanted from Pempal just an incredible story. Same with um, theme music by T. Marie Vandelli. Wow. And I think here, <laughs> Laura, ties back to Donna, the point that you made earlier about groomer. Yes. Some of the critique that I see about Dear Laura is um, it's not realistic. What, who would do what this character was forced to do? Young women, young women who, who aren't prepped for this who have all of these societal pressures on their shoulders, who don't know how to react. That is who reacts in a very believable way in my, you know, from what I've read and from, you know, experience. Yes. This is a very real, like, this is real, this is real horror. And I don't understand how people did not perceive that this was real horror. And I'm not sure if, um, but that just ties into Donna's point about the importance of writing these things and and making them public there's no way to separate horror from trauma absolutely no way (laughs) horror is meant to horrify you cannot be horrified if there is not an element of trauma and so everybody responds to trauma differently trauma is a subjective experience it is different for every person and i I can see how people outside of the world of mental health or psychology would have difficulties understanding why certain people respond in certain ways to traumas but dear laura is a fantastic example of how someone can get wrapped up in the guilt of a situation mm-hmm. like the one that she experiences and it, it just especially a young woman a very oh, young yeah woman, you a know? very un, uh, unsupported young person who isolates this experience and and just takes all of this guilt on themselves and is never given an opportunity to really process it mm-hmm. and it's so good and this makes me angry you know it's like yeah. it's outside of being you know outside of being horrific it just makes me so angry and that anger comes from a very real place and when you as a writer can tap into those very real raw emotions of the audience 
it just creates a very powerful experience that to me as a woman speaks to why I'm drawn to horror now. It's especially women authors or just authors that really aren't men. They just write these experiences where you can see yourself in them. And I think that's super important. We want to see these and we want to safely process those feelings in a way that we can't in everyday life, but books give us that space. And that space is very important to have. Yes, there are um, some male authors who I know this past year have caught flack for how some female readers have perceived their representation of women. One of the big ones being Erin Beauregard, um, especially with the slob. Because, yes, and I myself had to kind of process that my experience with that book which I love and I love the sequel the son of slob um but this character she she overcomes this this absolutely ridiculously horrific experience and it is your it it does fall into that classic like female victim role character but she just exactly yeah yes. like I don't want to yeah. ruin it anything perfectly. for anybody <laughs> but I mean just knowing there's a sequel like obviously like <laughs> can I quote yeah. you on that <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I I have to stand back and kind of argue people's perspective about this poor woman being victimized because in the end she is victorious and yes, she experiences some horrible things, but actually he uses the sequel to really process how that level of trauma can affect someone and their perception and how trauma forever rewires your brain. Mm-hmm. And I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't think Aaron has a background in mental health. He probably didn't realize that he was writing this, this much of an in-depth perspective. Um, but as a mental health professional, just reading that sequel as a follow-up to what this woman experienced in the first book, I was like, you know what? Like, this is a really great example of how experiences like this will forever change your ability to think critically and problem solve and it changes your priorities. Yeah, definitely. Uh, When I wrote um, Leviathan, Queen of Madness, The Die Circle. Oh, yes. I needed to speak to a health professional to get a better perspective on things because it wasn't that she was mad. She was being taunted. And mm-hmm. that kind of pressure, that kind of, it, you can only take so much. The body can only take so much. The mind can only take so much. And she was having this constant 24-7, am I insane? Am I insane? Am I insane? Yes. Until eventually she cracks. Yes, and the you gaslighting break her down completely and I can relate to that through my own experiences yeah oh I loved it I I love the books that um portray the the character as like in your story Nat Leviathan as you said you know and one of my examples is Scary Bastard oh yeah again Edmund Mm -hmm. from Aaron yeah you know a lot of stuff that I've read is the monster or the the killer turns into what they are because of external influences 
you know, like Edmund, um, with him being, you know, his mother was drilled while she was pregnant with him. Um, you know, people just see him as a monster and that's what he became. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know? Yep. And if you badger somebody and tell them that they're insane, that they're crazy, they're going to eventually go crazy. They're going to eventually snap and you're going to get what you get. Yep. Yep. I, it's, it's just, yeah, I, I, oh. yeah. So another how, do book. We, how do we continue to push indie heart to the forefront? Like, how do we see this trajectory continuing? I mean, the momentum is there, right? Right. We, we know the momentum is there. We know that people are dipping their feet in. They're being curious as, you know, the Nick Cutters of the world start to get more famous and keep opening a pathway. I think being open as a community, and I mentioned, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but uh, checking the gatekeeping, you know, unfortunately, I think that's still, especially for somebody who's, who's just getting into the community is not quite part of the community. There's a little subsection of people who, who do push back. You know, um, I have so many people coming to me talking about Tender is the Flesh. And like, yes, we, we've all read Tender is the Flesh. We, we know that book. But let people be excited. Whatever, whatever excitement somebody brings to you, bring that back to them. Bring that back and keep guiding them and bring them into the fold and offer books and make it a safe space. If I know the romance community gets this as well, but horror is a very serious genre. We, we tackle a lot of serious, you know, topics. There is so much depth here. We're, we're kind of getting over the, the general perception that horror is a silly genre, but let's make it an open community. So if somebody is looking for just extreme body horror, pave that path for them, even if it's not something that, I mean, I love body horror, but if that's not something that you're particularly into, then guide them gently along the way. If somebody comes to you and they were terrified about a book and you were just like, that wasn't scary at all, encourage that, encourage their curiosity and then send them to, to a Nat or a Donna who might be more interested in that general, you know, that general interest. But indie horror is still a very word of mouth community. I would like for it to, to be boosted up, but it's our job to get people curious and to keep them curious. Yes. We're shepherds. And I would say that Donna is one of our lead shepherdesses. You know, like Donna, Donna, you, when I say like a celebrity super fan, like you, people know you because of your visibility in the community before you even started writing like we knew you as just another fan but you've been so active and so vocal and so supportive not just of authors but of other fans like Donna is that person who's secretly sliding you the books (laughs) we need that like I think we need Donna (laughs) right like I, I, I like started tiptoeing into this community and Donna was like, Hey, (laughs) she grabbed me and she like pulled me in. And then she had Dan Volpe send me a book. And like, all of a sudden, like all of this stuff starts coming my way. And now I'm out here 
with Sonia on TikTok, and we're like quietly going, "Hey, you're gonna like this." And it's intimidating, it's really, especially it's really fucked you know. Up. I started my TikTok, and then uh, I've just I don't know social media and me. We just like I'm the friend who hoards 18 beautiful pictures of all my friends and never post them because um, I just don't really do social media. But I started the TikTok, and then I started joining you know the communities. And even for somebody who kind of had my foot in the door, you go on, you know, uh, books of horror and everybody knows everybody and they're talking like friends and it's really intimidating. So for somebody who doesn't even have that foot in the door, like we need the Donna's to be like, you knew, come on, let's go. And like, you know, do the introductions and get everybody welcome and just keep, you know, keep that community growing. I needed that. So yeah. Yeah. one of my main, main um, passions about the horror group um, or horror in general is I don't want people to tell other people what they think horror should be Yes, because everybody thinks horror is different. Um, there was a conversation. I honestly, I think it was about Harry Potter being considered horror. And my oh, response was, right. <laughs> if, if you think it's horrifying, if you think it's horror, then it's horror. I'm not going to tell you what's, right? what is horror to you. you do <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Fear I'm not going to put you down. Yeah. And, oh, you think Harry Potter is horror? Well, you know what? I know that here's a book that you may enjoy. That's kind of along the same line. Mm-hmm. Um, I read so many different types of horror. I'm not, I don't just read extreme horror. I read, you know, all kinds. Um, so no matter what anybody is looking for, I will have a recommendation mm-hmm. of, of a book. I may not have a ton, but I have at least one, you know, and um, I think it's really important for people to be allowed to define horror for their own self. And, you know, there's a very, <laughs> I, I was very mindful in wanting to make sure that this conversation that we are having today was a conversation between women because this horror is considered a male genre. And when I look at my guest list for the first season of Mothers of Mayhem, it is largely dominated by male authors because they are largely dominating the scene I love them all. (laughs) I can't wait to talk to them, but I don't want us to get lost in the mix. Like I cannot speak passionately enough about how women are really the foundation of the genre. We are the consumers. We are the reviewers. We are the fans. We are the readers. Without us, there is no trajectory. And also when it comes to gatekeeping, like I think we as women in the community are the biggest defense against it because we are the foundation of the genre and we are the ones like we know what we're talking about. We aren't dumbies. We aren't, you know, airheaded idiots out here just consuming violence like there is depth to this. There is wisdom. There is creativity. There's art. There's so much art in various forms in this genre. And, you know, I, I, I just, I feel so strongly that we get overlooked, even though our numbers greatly 
<laughs> we greatly <laughs> outnumber the men <laughs> when it comes to the fan base. And I will say, even my page, the two meet, like, so I get two very mean comments. One is brush your hair. Always. Oh my God. <laughs> There's always somebody who's like, I just want to say to anybody who tells Sonia <laughs> to brush your hair, you can go fuck yourself. And two, <laughs> it's, um, I'm not sure it might be the same person just making weird, you know, different accounts because people are weird, but I get so many, uh, comments being like, I will never take horror wrecks, um, from, from a Barbie look like, or just some, like some there's uh, the word Barbie is always in that. And their, their goal, which is why I think it's the same person with different accounts, but it's, we think we have a new target. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know, like, but just to equate like appearances or who you're going to listen to, or even trying to get people to stop talking about horror in general, because of something so silly as what we look like is exactly what I think that somebody gets really scared away. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to ignore that comment. I don't care, but somebody lurking in the comments, somebody who doesn't, maybe they just know King, you know what I mean? Which is absolutely fine. But why, like, I don't want any of that in the comments. I don't want any of that in the community. I just, I just want horror to be the place that Donna is making guys. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Those comments are trash. I mean, Garbage. I was on TikTok for freaking like a bit and it's either, do you want to be my sugar? Like, I want to be your sugar daddy. <laughs> that, that's, that's one I always Five dollars for feet pigs. You know, like, <laughs> oh my God. The other one is you're a bit too chunky to be like putting yourself there, there on TikTok. What the fuck? It's, it's, you know what? It's too chunky. It's too pale. It's too black. It's too pretty. It's too ugly. It's too old. You're too young. Like, why do you, how do you have a voice in this? It's always a two. When a woman is involved, there's a two, there's a, but there's always a parentheses and we need to dismantle that today. Hell yeah. But I'm wondering how I have not gotten any of the like I feel like I've been dodging a bullet maybe I don't want more followers (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the more followers you get the more the trolls come out like that's ridiculous when I started my TikTok I was a lot heavier than I am now um I'll be very honest I did gastric sleep for health reasons so I have dropped weight drastically but when I look back at my videos I um was way heavier and I can't believe that people didn't come at me being like what's this fat lady doing on TikTok talking about books like I I just I I expected it I expected it wholeheartedly I was like bracing myself for it and I just can't believe that it hasn't ha- I'm like waiting I'm waiting waiting for I think it to that happen. speaks to the the the, the actual community though like the actual community, super supportive, you know, they, they uplift, you know, the LGBTIQ authors, authors of color, or just reviewers, they, they don't care. They, they're there for the books. And it's just like the gross little, that there's like a crusty little layer of people who are not quite part of the community, but just like punch through them anyway, to, to get to this amazing, supportive, super just this community that I love that, that has helped define me as, as a reviewer, as a person, it's just those gross, those gross people. Yeah. So we are officially the anti-troll squad. And (laughs) if you want to come for us, 
uh we'll destroy you <laughs> I had on that conversation about harry potter when i said you know if you think it's horror say it's horror i had a guy comment something i can't remember exactly um what he said to me and i responded with something along the lines of i think you need you know to calm down or take your medication <laughs> and then he was in my dms and basically told me fuck off bitch and then blocked me all because I told somebody else that if they wanted to consider something horror, they perfectly should. Right. And this guy was so bothered by that. He was so bothered by it. Because why? They have why like does... this? They don't like being challenged. This, it's not even you challenging them. It's you opening a pathway for somebody. But because it goes slightly against a belief of theirs, it just they become so enraged. But I kind of love it just seeing yeah. that right <laughs> how very dare any of you think that people should be allowed to have their own individual experiences with anything I'm, I'm just so happy that you were able to be there for that person who thought that harry potter was for i'm just i'm just so happy that there are people who are going to push aside like all the bullshit and be like yeah harry potter is horror i got you Here, here's another book <laughs> yes like the last couple of weeks haven't been easy for me and I opened up to the horror community and I said guys I'm going to be a bit behind on my reviews I'm going to be um I will get around to doing your stuff I promise it's just this has happened and the outpour of support and love and just messages to make sure I was okay honestly I sobbed I was just unbelievably overwhelmed by how wonderful the community has been to looking after me Yes. And it comes to show, doesn't it? Absolutely. One of the most loving and accepting communities. We got to say, like, the trolls are few and far between. That is the beauty of it, isn't it? Like, they're out there, but they are greatly outnumbered by just an amazing community of wonderful friends. Mm-hmm. So let's break down some gates, ladies. I want to know what y'all are reading right now or if there are any recommendations you would have that you feel very strongly about that people should be picking up right now <gasps> i see yes nat <laughs> has daniel volpe's left to you oh good twice oh my god I sobbed so hard reading this book. It was unreal. Like, the fact that it it just didn't feel like research. You know, when people research history and they just put it on paper, Mm -hmm. there was so much emotion in this book. It did feel like a first-hand account from a real guy called Yosef. So I was like, I want to hug you, Yosef, but I also want to punch you. I don't know how I feel about (laughs) it. Yes. And I think the beauty of Left to You is it, it... it's extreme horror, but the horror of the novel is the reality of the Holocaust. Like Daniel really wrote a book where the, the extreme horror aspect was secondary, which is insane. Like that is, that's such an insane feat. And I, I'm blown, I was blown away from, by that book. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, it just, oh Yeah. I, you know, kind of piggybacking off of that, actually messaged Sonia last night 
as my plane landed in Baltimore, <laughs> as soon as I had Wi-Fi again, I immediately messaged Sonia because um, Eric LaRocca was kind enough to send us advanced reading copies of his upcoming book, We Can Never Leave This Place. And his I, titles. Can we just talk about his titles? I, I, he's going to be on later in the season. I freaking cannot wait to talk to this guy because, oh, his brain. Amazing. This, this book broke me. It broke me. The, the location of the book is not really specified, but it seems kind of clear that it's probably Syria. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it, 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 it's just a, a remarkable story about grief and the trauma of existing in a war bizarro feel to it which is not something that I expected from Eric Baraka but I am requires some controversy <laughs> yes and this one will have it and it is unfucking believable I'm still carrying it around in my gut you know after you read a book like left to you yeah and you kind of have that rock in your stomach I still have that rock in my stomach from yesterday and I just can't stop thinking about it it's amazing 100% recommend Donna, what's on your list? What do you, what are you reading or what do you want people to read? Um, what I'm currently reading, I'll be starting a couple arcs. Um, Carnivore by Justin Boot. Oh, uh, I love some Justin. I love Justin. Yeah. And Earworm from Bloodbound Books. I can't remember who the author is, um, but I got an arc of that. So I'll be starting that. Um, as well because I usually have one Kindle and one physical book going at the same time um, and next month I'm actually going to be devoting all of my physical books will be devoted to female authors I have a huge list of female horror authors um, that will be read during um, the month of February um, Nat you're on that list as well I've got some of yours to read um, so I got a that will be a Kindle because it's a godless, but, um, so yeah, I want, I want a more highlight. I want to be more conscious of reading female authors. Um, so I want, that's why I'm taking a whole month to, to pretty much focus on, on female authors, get those out there. They're not all extreme there. I got a couple of Elizabeth Bedlam's in there. Um, Elizabeth Bedlam. I love yeah. this. She's amazing. Yeah. And, um, uh, did you ever read, um, Hello Friend? I just finished that. I haven't read that one yet. Dude. Oh, oh my brain. <laughs> it has that every trope that I love. It has yeah. just like unreliable narrator. Is something actually going on or is she just losing it? Just perfection. Yeah, the whole yeah. book you've been there going, yeah. did I miss a chapter? Did I miss a <laughs> <Yeah. 
like new. I'm pretty sure I just read that page. Okay. No, I just had no idea what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) And I love it. And I love it. Right. Like, please confuse me more. Yeah. One book that I wish that everybody would read. um, And I recommend it all the time, all the time is fur by Matthew cash. It's a werewolf book, but it's not your typical werewolf book and it will crush your soul um, because of things that happen. And it's basically about a bunch of geriatric werewolves. Oh no. my God. Already in. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It, it's amazing. It was the first book I read by him. It was actually the first signed book I received from an author in the Books of Horror group. Um, I paid the money to have it shipped all the way from the UK. Um, because I wanted it so bad and then when I read it he immediately became a favorite author me too me too he I everything that I have read that he has sent me or that I have purchased has been an unbelievable experience I you all know I love the psychological aspect of things and he writes from his own experiences but he translates them into these remarkable stories that are both entertaining, funny, horrifying, and gut-wrenching. And yep. it is an amazing journey through the human psyche and all of the different experiences that we have internally as Sold. humans. He's oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um which one did I just read, Donna? Which one? Your did frightful I... spirit yes, stayed. Your frightful spirit <laughs> stayed. Oh my God, Nat, Sonia, if you guys haven't read this, it's on it my is, list. It's on <laughs> Kindle. I thought it was an arc, but apparently he's just like sending me stuff now because oh my God, I wait. Oh. What's, what's what's that recent one that you're just talking about? Your Not frightful her. spirit stayed. Okay, it's another one that's written in reverse, and it was incredible incredible unbelievable Uh, i will recommend one woman if you're doing women of horror um bella dean joiner um witch's bargain which is i have never ever had a nightmare with a book before oh he gave me say no more (laughs) yeah right (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to sleep for days and she's just given me her second arc read, which is Tyrant. And I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not going to sleep again, am I? I'm meant to be like, finding somewhere to live now. What are you doing to me? And purchased. Yup. <laughs> Sonia, hit us. Hit us so with that good, good. Two books that I think everybody has to read. To be devoured, Sarah Tantlinger. I'm sorry, I'm on a crusade to make everybody read that book. So good. Um, but also Into the Forest and All the Way Through by um, Cynthia Paleo. Palayo. Oh, that's um, on my list. So it's not extreme horror. It's a book of poetry about uh, all the missing and murdered women across the United States. <gasps> um, it's just so gut-wrenching. And what I oh love about God. it, especially in the age of true crime, when it became such a commodified thing is she brings it back to the victims. She brings it back to the family. And I think right now that's just super important. So everybody picked that up as well. 
I'm also, I predominantly focus on women in horror, but I'm kicking it up back to where it used to be, starting with Red Station um, by Kenzie Jennings. Um, and I just finished uh, Burner by Robert Ford, which is about sex trafficking. And that just made me feel like a shell of a human being. Um, so definitely recommend that. <laughs> awesome. Um, what about Zombie Necro Gogo by Elizabeth Bedlam? Have any of you read that? I've not read that one yet. All right. It's in my yeah. TBR. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get to that one. Oh, my God. Um. Okay, so ladies, if people would like to contact you, where's the best place for them to find you? Where would you like people to reach out to you if they need to? Would you want to after hearing me on this podcast? <laughs> right? Oh, Absolutely. Well, you can find me on Instagram um, at L underscore Donna 90. Um, I don't do a lot of um, videos of myself, but I do post a lot of my reviews. I post my book mail, um, my favorite books. Um, and I am on TikTok um, at Airy75, A-R-Y-Z-75. Um, there I do some videos of my pile of shame books um, <laughs> that I've had for months that I've never opened. Um, <laughs> So you get to be surprised with me. Thrift book packages. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, of course, I'm a, um, a frequent flyer in the Books of Horror Facebook group, Donna Latham. So you can find me there, reach out. Um, I'll be your den mother. Yes. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Sonia, <laughs> Sonia, tell them all about it. Um, so I'm Ghostly Reads on TikTok, Spooky Curious on all other socials, and I'm just, I've been a longtime lurker of books of horror, but I think I've made my first two posts on there, just um, mainly about Error Rat by Christopher Golden, because it's one of my favorite books. Um, so I'm floating around, um, and I love to talk to people, so reach out. People are like, it's so intimidating. Don't be intimidated by anybody in this community, folks. Oh, yeah, no. Nat! Oh, right. I'm on TikTok, or as this little shit will say, the TikTok. <laughs> um, I'm usually doing reviews with Creepy Bunny. Sometimes I do art reviews with him, a book mail, uh, mostly putting out if I've got any new projects coming out. I've got a, quite a few at the moment. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Facebook. I've got a WordPress website, which is uh, the Crystal and uh, sorry, Crystal Vixen uh, reviews and reads. Instagram, I'm Wiston Nat, and I'm also where else am I? Instagram, Facebook. No, that's all of them. Oh, that's fine. Floating oh, the ether. Well. <laughs> <laughs> For more information on these remarkable women, please refer to today's show notes or come join us on the Mothers of Mayhem official Facebook group. I think all of y'all are in there. So yeah, I don't know if you are. Oh, yes. Okay, good. From the beginning. Woo! <laughs> A few weeks late, actually, but that's Hell okay. Oh, yeah. I don't care. You're in there. You can find the links to our various social media accounts in the show bio and by visiting my link tree on any of my TF that I just read accounts. 
Uh, as always, you can send your questions, comments, or insults to our email address, momextremepodcast at gmail.com. That is m.o.m.extremepodcast at gmail.com. Do not forget to send dildos to Christina. DM me if you need her mailing address. I like that she's not here this time to try and defend herself. Just do it. Send the dildos. I will never stop thanking singer songwriter amigo the devil for allowing us to use his song hungover in jonestown as our theme song please go check out his music you will not regret it ladies this has been amazing this was more than i ever could have hoped for i had such a blast and i feel like maybe next season we should all get again get together (laughs) again Until next time, go raise some hell, children. Make your weird book mommies proud. <gasps> bye. Say bye, Lynn. Bye. Thank bye. you. <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> Life is a joke. Death is the punchline. Oh, la, 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 la.